This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for February 21st, 2020. There's an easy way to remove apps you no longer use. Rumors swirl around Apple allowing you to change default apps. Plus, Josh and Kirk will look at apps that might be more private or secure than Apple's default apps, like mail, messaging, and more. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Josh, do you know how many apps you have on your iPhone? Oh, man, it's got to be a lot. I, I tend to have a lot of apps that I uh, I use occasionally, but I don't really want to fully delete them because they might have some settings that might be useful. And so uh, sometimes I offload apps. So the core of the app is, is gone and freeing up that space while still keeping the settings available on the phone. Uh, that's a really useful feature. And I don't know if, if anyone listening doesn't know about this. You go into settings, general iPhone storage or iPad storage if you're on an iPad. And there's a setting for offload unused apps. If you tap enable, it just basically deletes the apps that you haven't used in a certain amount of time. But as you say, it keeps the settings and any data that the apps have stored. And when you go down in the list, if you tap an app where you see how much storage it's using, um, you have options such as offloading the app or deleting the app. So I, I've done that a bit um, when I have a lot of apps, but I currently have my 64 gig iPhone is only about half full. It's funny because some years ago, when we made the shift from iPods to iPhones, uh, I wanted to have all my music on my iPhones. And I think back then it was just so expensive in the early days to get the extra storage. And I'm talking the days when it was eight gigabytes on an iPhone. So I always had to, to sort. Then when they came out with iPhones with a lot more storage, like the first one was 256, maybe around the iPhone 7. I was thinking, I'm going to get this extra storage to put all my music on it. But now I stream my music and I just don't even need it. Yeah, I, I was definitely on the the side of, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to get as little storage as I really need because I want to save that extra $100 or whatever it was at the time. And uh, at this point, um, you know, I I use my phone for, for enough things that I just don't really want to have to be spending so much time managing storage. And so I think it makes a little more sense to just, you know, spend the extra hundred or $200 and, and, you know, get more storage if you need it. And the best way to tell if you need it is like you say, going into your settings app and looking at how, what percentage full, uh, you are on your storage. And, um, if, if you know that you're, if you're, especially if your phone is prompting you to delete some things because you're running out of space, then, you know, you're a heavy data storage user. And so you might want to get the next size up next time you get an iPhone. And also remember that you can put your photos in the cloud. You can put your music in the cloud. So you can offload a lot of storage. A lot of people I know who use a lot of space on iPhones, use it mostly for photos. Now, if you have a Mac, what you should probably do is in the Photos app on the Mac, um, set it to download all the originals to the Mac, and on the iPhone, set it to optimize storage. That means it'll it'll delete photos but keep thumbnails and download them when you need them. Because 
you really should keep all your photos on a computer where it's safer um, to have all the originals in one place. If you're not backing them up from your phone, you might lose right. them. Right, yeah. And, and in fact, it's especially for, uh, you know, personal photos, f- photos of your family or or other photos that are really important to you, you want to make sure that you have multiple backups. Um, make sure that, you know, you're using um, uh, a backup solution that will uh, copy them to uh, to something external. So, for example, you can use um, Intego Personal Backup to copy uh, your your data from one Mac to another Mac. Um, you can um, another thing that I recommend to people is to have some kind of offsite backup as well. So whether that's a cloud backup, um, and people ask us all the time, what do we recommend? I, th- there's not any particular brand I recommend. I know that uh, Backblaze is one popular service, and there's a number of others out there that that are uh, y- you can read about. Um, Carbonite advertises everywhere. Um, I don't know that I necessarily recommend them, um, but I know a lot of people use them. So there, there's there's a lot of services out there. Well, I use Backblaze myself. It seems to work, and other people I know recommended it. But again, this isn't something that we want to recommend on the show. I mean, we have talked about apps that we use, and we've mentioned we use 1Password and other things. Um, so it, it's worth checking out what's available, um, but definitely cloud backup. So today, we want to talk about apps on the iPhone and, of course, the iPad as well. We've got an article on the Intego Mac security blog about switching default apps on the iPhone and the iPad. And it's really a coincidence because we just got some news today that Apple is considering allowing people to change the default apps. And so in the article, it's kind of a shame because I wrote a whole thing about how, you know, it's a shame that we can't make these changes while you can use alternate apps. So example, I use Safari, Uh, you can use Chrome or Firefox as a browser, but the problem is that the way the iPhone works, when you click a link, Um, let's say in an email to open in a browser, it's going to open in Safari, even if you've got another browser installed. And so according to the Bloomberg article, Apple weighs letting users switch default iPhone apps to rivals. I'm not sure rivals is the best term. One of the issues that comes into play here is there could be a kind of antitrust issue. Just like when Microsoft was sued, targeted, pursued for bundling Internet Explorer. Um, And it's kind of funny when we look back at that. It was such a big deal then, but now every operating system bundles their own browser. Uh, But the problem is that you can't change the default on iOS. Um, So even though you can download an app, you end up constantly using another app because links open them. Right. Yeah, that is a bit surprising, actually, that Microsoft got in such hot water over that. I mean, that was... To be fair, uh, you know, uh, what, a couple decades ago now? Um, and uh, things changed a lot between when Microsoft got in trouble for that and when Apple launched the first iPhone uh, with with a browser. So, um, you know, things did change. But, but that is a fair point that Apple really does, in a sense, sort of lock you into that because you can't officially change the default app that links will open it. Although there is sort of an exception to this, because if you are using multiple Google apps on your device, let's say you're using the Gmail app and you also have Google Chrome installed. And if you want Google Chrome to be your default browser when you open links in Gmail, there's a setting in the Gmail app where you can pick to have 
Google Chrome be your default browser, just specifically for links you open in the Gmail app. So this is not a universal system-wide setting. It's only related to links you click on in Gmail. Well, there is another workaround, but it's a bit complicated. If you tap and hold a link and then you tap share, then you get the share sheet and the share sheet can have a whole bunch of apps in it. So you could have your browser in it and you could open it, but that's complicated. No one wants that. You get an email, you tap a link, you want it to open. Let me ask you a question. If you haven't looked in the show notes at the screenshot I put in there, how many apps were there on the first iPhone? Oh man. Uh, I don't know. Uh, less than a dozen, I would guess. There were 17. Oh, okay. Yeah, I knew it wasn't a, yeah. a big number. Yeah, certainly quite a bit different from what we have today with a lot of a lot of default apps. So in the first iPhone, you had a phone app, obviously. You had messages. Those are the key communication apps. You had mail, Safari. You had iPod. Remember that? It was actually like an iPod-like player. There was the iTunes Store. You had Calendar, Photos and Camera. You had a YouTube app, which was a default. There was a Stocks app from the very beginning, and I always found that funny that they considered Stocks to be so important. Um, Google Maps, because Apple Maps didn't exist until 2012. There was a Weather app, Clock, Calculator, Notes, and Settings. There was no Contacts app. Um, in the very first iPhone. And that's a little bit surprising. I seem to recall that there were ways of storing contacts in the phone and messages app, and somehow they were stored, but you couldn't manage them the way you can with the contacts app. Obviously, there was no app store because it wasn't until 2008 that apps were available on the iPhone. And so I'm looking at a list here of all the different things that they've added. There are a number of apps that they, for instance, Apple started out with Google Maps and then they created Apple Maps. There are a number of apps like that that have changed over time uh, to the point that now I don't think we can do a count. Let's see, 17. It's probably about 30 or 35 apps altogether on the iPhone. But it's still not enough, is it? Because some people want to use their own apps. Now, I use a different calendar app. I use a different contacts app. I do use Mail and Safari, however. I'm quite satisfied with Safari. I don't think I'd want to change um, to a different browser. Like I know you would. You'd probably want to use Brave or something. And in fact, one thing I look at in the article that I'll link to on the Intego Mac Security blog is choosing apps that are more secure than the defaults. But we'll get to that in the second half of the show. Um, for now, it's enough to know that what, a million apps on the App Store? And does it matter if it's 50,000 or 100,000 or a million? There are just so many that we're overwhelmed. We have lots of options, but it would be really nice if we could switch some of these. And again, not just for security reasons, but just because we want to use a different app. Yeah. One other thing that uh, I've, I've observed that Apple has sort of changed their thinking on a little bit in recent versions of iOS is that uh, now apps that have to do with phone type calling, uh, for example, Skype and uh, and Signal and other apps like that can actually integrate with your lock screen and uh, can, sh can come in as though they're a, a regular phone call. Um, so Apple does seem to be opening up a little bit in that sense. Um, it's definitely not the case that like on Android, where you can pick a phone app to make regular phone calls from uh, that doesn't, you know, right. other than the stock app, you still can't do that on, uh, on an iPhone. And I don't Im imagine that Apple really ever intends to add that because of all the potential problems with that kind of thing. 
Um, but uh, but at least for incoming calls, you can get them through multiple sources, which is, a, I think, kind of a step in the right direction. Okay, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk more specifically about changing to more secure apps, particularly for email and for web browsing. If you or someone you know has got a new MacBook or iMac or switched to the Mac from Windows, be sure to check out Intego's new Mac User Center. It's a one-stop collection of the things you'll need to know about using your Mac. Intego's new Mac User Center covers plenty of the basics to get you running smoothly and smartly in no time. Of course, one of the first steps you'll want to take is to install Mac security software from Intego to keep yourself protected. And right now, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get 40% savings on Intego software, including Mac Premium Bundle X9. Mac Premium Bundle X9 is a suite of terrific Intego software that includes the antivirus, anti-phishing, and anti-spyware protection of Intego Virus Barrier, home and hotspot firewall security from Intego Net Barrier, parental controls for peace of mind from Intego Content Barrier, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. And then use the promo code PODCAST19 at checkout to save 40%. That's PODCAST19 to save 40% on complete Mac protection and security with Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9. Intego, devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997. Visit Intego.com today. Okay, so we talked about apps in general. Let's talk about security and privacy, specific apps that you may want to use because you want something that's a lot more secure than Apple's Mail and Safari. So there are currently, let's see, 36 default apps on iOS. You can add another dozen apps, Apple apps. So you can get the iWork apps, a Pages Numbers Keynote. You can add GarageBand. There are a few other Apple apps, even some obscure things like TestFlight, which you'll only know about if you use beta software. Um, so basically, you can get about 50 apps just from Apple um, to put on your device, but it's never enough, is it? Let's start by talking about web browsers. Um, I'll link to another article last year where we uh, asked, is Safari the most private browser for iPhone and iPad? And I think, Josh, you're the one who would really want to be able to switch browsers on your iOS devices, aren't you? Yeah, at, at the time, uh, you know, when uh, we we co-wrote this article, <laughs> Kirk, Kirk did a lot of the uh, most of the initial research on it, and then I was like, "Yeah, but there's a couple more I feel like we we should really talk about in here." <laughs> so I added some more to the article as well. But um, yeah, we uh, we definitely found that there are, are a lot of different browser options. Now, most of them I'm not necessarily that interested in. If you're a real heavy Firefox user and you like to have your bookmarks synchronized between your Mac and your phone, um, you know, there is a Mozilla Firefox app. And so that may make sense for you. And that's the same with Google Chrome. Yeah. Either you use this on all your devices or maybe your business requires that you use it. So in that case, you'll want to have the same thing on your phone. Right. And of course, Safari, which is the built-in app, uh, has that type of functionality as well. Um, but there's also um, Brave, as you mentioned, that is uh, my favorite mobile browser. Um, and I think I, I may have uh, mentioned Snowhaze in here, or it might have just been in, in a comment. But um, Snowhaze is, is one that I kind of tried out after this article was published. 
And it really, really lets you get granular with the types of things that web pages are allowed to do. But I just found it to be nearly impossible to use because once you start enabling every single imaginable privacy feature, now websites are so beyond broken. It's not, it's not even, it's worse than just blocking JavaScript. If you've ever tried turning off JavaScript and using the web, it's nearly impossible. This makes it even less possible. So you're lucky if you ever get any web page to load properly. But, the, you know, if you're the kind of person who really wants to have like extreme control over privacy, uh, you can check out Snowhaze. But uh, in my experience, it's a little too complicated to use, even for someone who's kind of an expert in the, in the area. Have you ever used links on iOS? <laughs> Is there links on iOS? Really? There is a Lynx, but it might only be for jailbroken devices. Um, so those who don't know, Lynx, L-Y-N-X, is a text-only browser. You use it in terminal. You use it from the command line. And what's interesting is you can read web pages, but what happens when you don't get JavaScript, which I don't think you can get at all in Lynx? Does it break <laughs> them, or do you still get the text of pages? I imagine you probably still get the text. Yeah, man. I, is Lynx still being updated? I don't know. And I'll put a couple links in the show notes if I find anything. But I remember using links back in the day, back in the 90s, maybe, just because bandwidth was so low that sometimes you just wanted to get text of a web page and you didn't want the blinking fonts or the web counters at the bottom of the pages. So you'd use links and you'd get an article really quickly. Obviously, it's changed. I've got 300 megabit fiber, so it doesn't matter how big a web page is anymore. Yeah, that's really interesting. I might actually have to check that out. Um, for And for people who are bandwidth impaired, uh, if something like this actually does work with the sites you want to load, uh, something like that could actually be kind of useful. Well, it's a good point to make about bandwidth impaired, and that's another reason why you may want to switch browsers. Chrome, for instance, has a low data mode, doesn't it? That you can toggle a setting and it's going to do things like maybe not load all the images or compress them and not load certain types of assets on web pages. So if you're in a place where you have low bandwidth or you've got a very low data cap, you can still use the web. I haven't used the Opera browser recently, but I know that used to be uh, one of the main features of the Opera browser on mobile. Okay, so the one app that I think many security conscious people would want to switch is their email app. Um, now, you can obviously use Gmail and plenty of other email apps. And here's a little tip. If you have an email app that copies your emails from your email server onto their server before sending them to you, that means they're reading all your email. And that's not really secure. And there are apps that do this. And we are talking before the show. Early on, it was maybe for spam filtering. But now it's for like advanced things that you want to postpone an email and get it resent to you in two hours and stuff. But that's not secure at all. On the other hand, there are email apps and services that are incredibly secure, and we look at a couple of them. So the one that you recommended to me when we were talking about doing this article is Tutanota, T-U-T-A-N-O-T-A. -T -T right, yeah. Probably the more famous service is ProtonMail, but Tutanota uh, is, is a service that uh, is, like ProtonMail, is designed for secure email into an encryption, uh, uses two-factor authentication, um, they do have a free option, um, but it limits you to one gigabyte of storage, which is probably enough if you're mostly sending, you know, text-based messages. And especially if you're not just giving this email address out to every company that wants to send you a message. But if you're only giving your email address out to people that you want to have private communications with, 
not to companies, then a one gigabyte should be plenty for most use cases. Um, and of course, there they also have some other options that, that you can sign up for as well if you pay for a plan. But um, it's much better than Gmail from a privacy perspective. A lot of people kind of worry, like, what's Google doing with all of my emails, right? Um, we know that uh, they, you know, have a tendency to do things like uh, taking a look, uh, even if they're not, even if they're not recording anything about you in particular, they can still see the contents of an email and then serve you advertisements based on it. Um, even if they say this is all being anonymized in some way or other, it's still a little creepy. I don't think we can trust them. Yeah. Um, and even if they're not serving you ads, they're building up their profile about you. Um, since they have your actual email address, it's not like they're just putting a cookie in your browser. Um, this goes into a profile that builds up over time. Right. So while, while Gmail is still a very popular email service, I use it. Um, and I think probably uh, a lot of people do um, more than use, you know, things like AOL. You know, I still have a legacy AOL email address, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but, you know, I mean, they're definitely one of the most popular free email services. But uh, if if you really care about privacy, then it's you know, you may want to look into one of these alternative services like Tutanota or ProtonMail. Um, where the whole thing is designed to sort of protect your privacy. And one point, if you're emailing, say, Josh, you and I were sending emails through Tutanota and we're using the Tutanota app, there's end-to-end -end encryption. Um, but if you're sending an email to someone else, it's not that they can't read the email. They'll get an, a link to an email and they'll have to have a password to be able to read it on the website. Yeah, there, there's, uh, I mean, of course, in order for email to be into and encrypted, there is a bit of a challenge when the vast majority of people are using an email service and email client software that doesn't support full into an encryption. And, you know, at least not in any way that's compatible with uh, these services. And um, so, of course, there, there have to be ways that you can send a message to somebody who's using Gmail and uh, and so that's the the sort of workaround, the solution for for that. So it's better than your whole message being sent in plain text to people who happen to you know use one of these less secure, less private uh, email services. Um, it's a little inconvenient. And so um, I, I would say that if you really care about privacy, and you have loved ones who really care about privacy or you care about it enough to and can convince them to use another email service, then um, the better way to go is to have both of you uh, or multiple people sign up for this service and then you all use it together when you're having communications with one another. Right. And you don't have to worry about um, knowing the password for the emails that someone else sends you, which you can store in your password manager, but it's just an extra step. Right. So other than email, we've got messaging and phone calls and Apple's iMessage uses end-to-end -end encryption, um, but it only works like that when you're messaging people on Apple devices. If you send an SMS to someone on an Android phone or even a dumb phone, then it's not encrypted. That's the green bubble. So if you ever see a green bubble instead of a blue bubble when you're sending a message to somebody, that means that uh, they don't have iMessage enabled or they don't have an iPhone. Right. 
But there are other options, and generally, a lot of these apps that do messaging also do voice. And and in the article, I say secure messaging and phone calls. Phone calls, I should put that in quotes, because we're talking on Skype now. It's not technically a phone call. What, what it is is voice messaging or voice calling. Um, but there are lots of apps, and one of them is WhatsApp that uses a very um, secure protocol. The other is Signal, which is the protocol that WhatsApp uses. Signal is widely used by journalists and people with privacy concerns to make sure that their data um, is secure. You can even set messages to self-destruct with Signal. Right. Yeah. And this is a, uh, I, I personally really like Signal. I've tried out, uh, Threema is another service that's, um, uh, they have an app that I think costs $3. Uh, it's, so it's not free unlike Signal. Uh, and it's, it's okay. The interface is not as good and signal really has much more wide adoption because of being a, a freely downloadable app. Um, but there are lots of services and apps like this, um, signal, I think is, uh, is in my opinion, it's the best one that's out there right now. Um, telegram is another one that sometimes people use. Um, although, you know, there are some concerns about what kind of encryption protocol they're using. Um, so signal, I would say is the best option. Um, WhatsApp, Although it uses the Signal protocol, there are some implementation concerns that have been spotted in WhatsApp over the years. Um, and of course, that's the app through which um, Jeff Bezos's iPhone apparently was hacked. So I would say probably don't use WhatsApp. <laughs> and they're also owned by that company, what's the name, begins with an F? Oh yeah, Facebook, right. The, Facebook, the, yeah. The company that really cares about your privacy so, so much. <laughs> Okay. Um, links in the show notes to this article and to some other information. Drop us a line at podcast.intego.com if you have any interesting apps that you use to replace default apps on your iOS device or leave a comment on the show page. Josh, until next week, stay secure. All right. Stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the online show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software. Intego.com. <laughs>